Hi, this is Yona Chatsunov with Panema Wellness at FromWomen'sHealth.com. I want to talk today about miscarriage and pregnancy loss, and this is a painful subject for many women. So if anyone feels uncomfortable listening, you know, you don't have to, but it is an important topic and one that comes up a lot is something that's under-discussed. So I'm just going to give you, you know, my take on what there is to talk about this subject. I'm going to start with some background about the subject and then um, just starting with some ideas of how women can help one another. And then I want to go on to details about what can be expected with a miscarriage or a pregnancy loss. So first of all, this podcast is really about pregnancy loss or miscarriage in the first and second trimesters before 20 to 24 weeks. After that time, pregnancy loss is called a stillbirth, and that's not not so much what I'm going to be discussing now. So let's start with how common is miscarriage or how common is pregnancy loss? And honestly, hearing the statistics might be scary for some women because the numbers are bigger than you might expect. An estimated 20% of known pregnancies end in loss before 14 weeks, which is the first trimester, and most of those happen between five to eight weeks, which is really early, right? The vast majority of these losses are because of chromosomal abnormalities, also known as genetic problems. At the same time, more women probably miscarry before they know that they're pregnant. So the way it works is that a woman becomes pregnant about two weeks before her period. So we, it's a little bit tricky, but the five to eight weeks is talking about a week after having missed a period. So there are women who may conceive a pregnancy and lose a pregnancy before they've even missed a period. Um, For women under 35, the loss rate is 15%. And for women over 42, the loss rate is 50%. If you think about it, before early pregnancy tests, it took time for a woman to even know that she was pregnant. Um, people were less calendar dependent, right? On one, For one thing, they weren't maybe keeping track of their dates as, as clearly, as consistently. And nowadays with the early detection pregnancy tests, women can find out they're pregnant before they've even missed a period. But for sure, when they've missed a period, they can go take a test that day and they'll be able to determine whether they're pregnant or not. And that would be before the five to eight weeks where most of these early pregnancies that end up end in miscarriage are lost. So until it was so, so common or so accepted that people would know right away, then losing those early pregnancies was probably just a part of life. Right. And also maybe less painful because they weren't so clearly identified yet. It wasn't black and white, pregnant, not pregnant. So I think that's probably getting harder and harder as time goes on and women can know earlier and earlier that they're pregnant. It's just kind of thought of, a thought that I've had. Um, late miscarriage is the term used to describe pregnancy loss in the second trimester, which is up to 20 to 24 weeks, and it depends on what country a woman's living in. In the United States, it's generally 20, and in Israel, it's generally 20, although there are some things that continue to 24 weeks or happen beyond 24 weeks. Um, Late miscarriages are much less common than early miscarriages, but they do still happen in 2-3% to of pregnancies. Again, it's most often because of chromosomal abnormalities or genetic problems, but also because of structural abnormalities, things that aren't growing right with the baby, the placenta, or the umbilical cord. And stillbirth, which is after 20-24 to weeks, is the least common of all. 
So how do women respond to miscarriage? Well, miscarriage can be really painful, right? Physically, emotionally, and spiritually. But everyone has their own experience. With early miscarriage, because it's hidden and because women attach differently to early pregnancy, I think you see probably the widest variety of how a woman will respond. And it's easy to understand how it could be different for someone who's trying to have their first versus someone who is having a string of miscarriages or someone who it took a long time to conceive a pregnancy. Some women you'll hear, particularly as they get closer to menopause or the end of their childbearing, they feel comfortable with accepting miscarriage as part of life. It's part of the process of having children is that some pregnancies won't, um, won't stick, I guess is the term people use. They won't last. They won't grow to being a baby. And that's acceptable to some people more than it is to others. I recently saw a study on how men actually hold on to their feelings about miscarriage longer and they kind of let it simmer because they don't have a place to talk about it at all, right? It's so as hidden as it is for the woman, it's even more hidden for men. So it's just an interesting thing. Men also need a place to, to talk about their experiences. And for some women, the fact that they're becoming a nida is really hard, especially if they've been looking forward to months of being clean. Um, Grief with miscarriage is natural. It's made stronger because of the hormones that a woman experiences. Just like a woman can feel baby blues for around three weeks after they've given birth at full term to a healthy baby, and it's just something that happens chemically within a woman's body, those same hormones can cause a, like an, uh, a strengthening of their natural grief. A woman is, is sad because she's lost her pregnancy, and then those hormones strengthen that feeling of mourning. And it's completely acceptable. Women shouldn't feel ashamed of how they're feeling about their loss. They shouldn't feel ashamed to mourn. They shouldn't be embarrassed by how strongly they feel about their miscarriage at whatever point it happens. That's a woman's experience and it's completely valid. There are a number of really excellent support groups out there for from women. Some of them overlap with fertility support and others are just dedicated to pregnancy loss. And I have posted a couple links on my blog, one to a time and one to, um, to, I'm sorry, one to Knefai. So how can we support one another? What can women do for their friends? And what can we do within our community to provide more support? So what can women do for their friends? Probably the number one thing that a woman can do for a friend who's experiencing a pregnancy loss is just to listen with a non-judgmental ear. Meet your friend where she is emotionally and spiritually. There's kind of a fine line between being supportive and judgmental when you attempt to give chizuk. So be available for a hug, be available to hear your friend cry, to accept her grief, her disappointment, whatever it is that she's experiencing. It's okay to give chizuk if that's what it seems a friend wants and you can always try, but look and see how it's received. Don't push it. Um, some practical tips include providing food, um, child care if the woman has other children, a hot water bottle for cramping, flowers, a supportive note, just things that show love and also things that relieve her of some of the practical tasks that she has to take care of in life while she's healing physically and emotionally because both have to happen. One thing we can do as a community is that as a community, we need to not make assumptions about people, but really just be available to offer our experiences and support. You really never know when someone has a big gap in their family because they were overwhelmed or because they couldn't get pregnant 
or because they had repeated losses. And I think we often judge people without realizing like, oh, she's more modern. She probably doesn't want a big family or, oh, she has so many kids. She must have wanted a break. But it really boxes people in and it limits their ability to find support. So it doesn't, we don't want to be nosy. We don't need to know the details of everyone's lives, but we need to be careful to not make assumptions. Just don't make assumptions. Be available to share your experience if you hear that someone needs to hear it. And just be open to the idea that things may look on the surface different than, than what they are, which I think we all know, but we maybe don't consider. And I want to share a personal story. Um, I myself had a late miscarriage just a few months after we made Aliyah which was, I mean, honestly, it was a really awkward way to make new friends. Like, hey, have my kids. I need to go check into the hospital for a couple of days. So it was a painful experience in a lot of ways, obviously, particularly more so since I just moved with my family across the world, starting a new life. But at the same time, I think that distance forced me to reach out to more people than I might have otherwise. And through that, I realized how much more common miscarriage was than I'd ever considered because people came forward with their stories to tell me things, you know, tell me, oh, I know this woman who also had a late miscarriage. I, I, they would say to me, I didn't realize how common it is, but now I've know a few people that I can connect and having those connections was really quite helpful. And I found it really helpful to talk to women who had had a similar experience to me or timing wise for validation. Like perhaps it's it's more helpful for a woman who's having a late miscarriage to talk to someone who has also had a late miscarriage or early miscarriages to someone who has early miscarriages, a string of miscarriages to someone who has had a string of miscarriages. Just think that we can try and connect people more than we do. If obviously asking first the woman who you know has had a similar experience and then seeing if the second woman wants support. But we can work on transparency in a very sensitive and sneeous way just by making shidduchim between people who can give and who can receive support. One of the other things I noticed with my own experience was that people said just some really unhelpful, inspirational stuff, you know, and one of the women I spoke to from a support organization was like, you don't, you don't actually have to feel spiritual now. That's not, that's not a fault of yours. It's okay to be grieving. And perhaps something that has been said to you will speak to you later. And it's true. It really does work like that. And I think it was really, it really was okay. And for myself, I believe that my amuna became stronger from the experience, but I wasn't feeling it then. And I didn't need to hear it then. So if someone has something really beautiful they want to say, and it's not being well received, or if a woman feels like she doesn't want to hear those inspirational things, that's okay. And it can be saved for a later time. And there are obviously women who will want to hear that right away. But just see, again, listen with an open ear, talk to people with an open ear, see what it is they want to hear. And every woman's experience is different. Another aspect of meeting women where they are is to hear what language they use. Is your friend calling her pregnancy loss her baby? If so, then that's the word you should use. You should try and listen and mirror. In my blog, I'm going to attach a piece that someone wrote from Mishpacha that I honestly think the whole world should read. So please look it up. The essay is called It is for Objects by Esther Kurtz. We as humans, as women, are really sensitive to words. And that's a hard thing with pregnancy loss because the words that, that women experience aren't the same words that are used about them. 
particularly in the hospital. The medical term for pregnancy loss is actually abortion until 20 weeks, which is not what women want to be hearing in different terms. Just describe how it was discovered. So someone might hear complete abortion, threatened abortion, miss abortion. The term feels so harsh. And it might be especially difficult for a woman who has a late miscarriage, who perhaps felt the baby move already or had to be induced to deliver the baby to be denied the term stillbirth, which is only used after 20 to 24 weeks. But remember, the medical system is just trying to categorize so they can keep track of what medical intervention is appropriate for each woman. The terms aren't meant to validate or invalidate a woman's feelings or experiences. But we as a community, we as friends, can hear the terms that a woman is using and try and help validate her experience by using them as well. It's very helpful for women to talk about what is going on inside, what's going on emotionally. If a woman feels strongly that she lost a baby, then there's nothing wrong with giving that baby a name that can be used between her and her husband or however she feels comfortable. That was an ashama that needed to be carried in the world for a shorter time than anticipated, but it was an ashama. That's not something that someone else can make untrue with their words. Okay, here are some of the more technical aspects of miscarriage. So how long does bleeding last with a miscarriage and what is the process? The anticipated length of bleeding with a miscarriage does depend on the way a miscarriage is addressed, how it's taken care of after it's discovered either by waiting for the pregnancy to pass on its own, by taking medication to cause cramping, or by surgical management. For a first trimester miscarriage, which is the most common type, all of those are usually an option. Without any intervention, without doing anything to interfere with nature, it can take up to a month for the pregnancy to completely come out of the uterus. With medication, women usually have three to four days of heavy bleeding and cramping, and then one to two weeks of spotting. After surgical intervention, women can expect one to two weeks of spotting. Women can and should have a say in what they'd like to happen after they've had a miscarriage. They may have a provider that will encourage one or the other, one, one or another of the options strongly, but ultimately a woman gets to make that choice. Sometimes surgery is recommended purely for safety, and that's not what I'm talking about, but when all three are, are viable options, are things that that are on the table, women should feel comfortable standing up for what feels most comfortable for them, because it's ultimately going to be the woman's own experience. For a second trimester miscarriage, it isn't generally considered safe to allow a woman to deliver on her own because there's a higher risk of significant bleeding, a higher risk of hemorrhage. Women will generally be directed, will be guided towards a surgical delivery, which is also commonly known as a DNC or a DNE or even a labor induction, which is the same as labor induction later on. A woman's given medication to induce cramping and dilation and then to deliver the fetus, the baby. Um, and that happens sometimes with or without curatage, which is the C part of a DNC, where they then go in to make sure that all the different parts of the placenta were removed because during second trimester, it's, um, it's more likely that part of the placenta, which is not fully developed yet, will remain inside the woman's uterus. It needs to be removed so that she won't bleed too much. Um, bleeding can continue for a few weeks after a late miscarriage, but it's generally lighter if a woman does have surgical mm -hmm. curatage. And cramping may last a few days. After any miscarriage, extended bleeding can be a sign of a retained clot or a piece of placenta 
etc. So fever or bad smelling vaginal odor or discharge also require a follow-up because they can indicate infection. Resting or laying low can help with stopping bleeding just as it would after any birth. And it's important to be in touch with a competent and understanding rug because the spotting after a miscarriage and trying to get clean can be can at times be complicated. If a woman loses pregnancy loses a pregnancy in her second trimester, usually after about 16 weeks, her milk might come in as it would after a full-term birth and then take some time to dry up. And occasionally medication can be given to have it dry up sooner. One question that women ask a lot is how long does a woman need to wait to get pregnant again? Interestingly, the evidence, the studies, the science don't support waiting for a few months before trying again, which is something that obese still tend to recommend. If someone lost a baby at the end of pregnancy, then maybe they've already used up their reserves of iron or folic acid, whatever it is. But up to 20 weeks, it's actually okay to start trying again immediately. And fertility returns quickly for most women. Most women will get a period by three weeks after pregnancy loss, and ovulation can start as early as three weeks after losing a pregnancy. One thing to know is that if a woman has had two to three early miscarriages in a row or more, it's appropriate to get evaluated by an OB to see what's going on. It's not something they should um, brush off for a long time. There's often an easily identifiable and treatable problem, such as a clotting disorder that's not having any other impact on a woman's life. So it is worth being seen. And that's, that's all that I'm gonna discuss for now. I mean, none of us ever need any of this information, but please see my blog post for some links. And again, the website is fromwomenshealth.com, and that's women's with an E. Comments and feedback are welcome, and private consultations are available through my scheduling link at a tab at the top of the webpage. Thank you for listening.